Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. We're a church that empowers people to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ. We've, we've talked, probably you've had to listen, so it's probably been tire, tireless, but we've been talking a lot about this season we're in as we, as we look forward, as we change the, the, the chapter, as we turn the page, so to speak, we get the opportunity to start in our brand new facility one time. We get the opportunity to, to, to come toward that moment and, and we bring different perspectives, right? One perspective might be that, that, wow, look at this. We finally built this incredible tens of thousands of square feet and technology that I can't even you know, pronounce and, and stuff and, and, and think, wow, we've arrived as a church and that would be the grossest response we could ever have. Because that is the way the world approaches this sort of thing. So then it bears witness. What is the spiritual response to such a beautiful, amazing moment? What is, what is the right response to, to looking at this incredible blessing? Well, it's not a rival. It's the launch point. It, it's the very place, right? I've used this analogy, even though I don't know how to fish to save my life. I mean, I catch bigger fish than my dad when we go fishing, but that's it. And I guess that was for Thanksgiving. But no, it's, it's, the reality is, is, is I'm not a fisherman, but, but we talk about that like, man, if we, were, if we were using this analogy, we've been fishing from shore, right? We, we've been on, on, the, on, the, on the banks fishing out off the shore and you can catch pretty good, but at some point you want to launch out into the deep, Right? You want to get out in the water. You want to go out there and, and, and experience that. And then this is what building our facility is all about, that it's simply a vessel that we're going to be able to launch out into the deep with. We're going to be able to do more than we've ever done. We're going to have more opportunities for worship, more encounters, more opportunities to grow deeper, more opportunity to build community, and more opportunity to change the world because that is indeed what we believe the abundant life is. And so as we approach this next season, as we look at this season, we, we have to be constantly pursuing Jesus for, to, to, to see what he wants to do. And, and we've been in these last weeks looking at each of kind of one of those, those four different buckets to say, man, we want to see people encounter God. We want to see people grow deeper in their faith. We have no need or desire to see people just come and have a big emotional experience and then stay the way we are and then go back into the world and have the same life we've always lived. We want to grow together. And then we want to build a community together. We want to start walking in community together. Pastor Jeff kicked off a couple weeks ago talking about community being a biblical community specifically, right? There's lots of communities. There's all sorts, really. But a biblical community worships God together and then they share in the bond of, of salvation, of his plan of salvation together. And we see it throughout the Bible. In the Old and New Testament, we see people that are adapting their faith while facing religious, social, and political changes in their environment. 
And when the biblical community walks out the model scene in Acts chapter 2, I said this last week, that it does nine different things. We see that, that, the, that when they start doing these nine things, there's a, a beautiful result. First, they, they center everything on the teachings of God's truth. They eat together. That's an important part of this. They pray together. They take care of one another. They stand in awe of what God has done together. They witness the miraculous together and they walk out life together. Both in large groups, it says the synagogue, and then house to house, they lived together. And the outcome of, of, a, of a community, of a biblical community that's living out these kingdom principles as defined for us in the scripture, we see the outcome, the byproduct be a, a, a sense of gladness and simplicity of heart, having favor with all men, and the Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. You see, there's this incredible beauty that, that happens when we see that all of a sudden, when we just live out the, the Christian life, when we live what the Bible prescribes as the body of Christ, it doesn't mean we all have to go get an apartment together. It means that we live in a biblical community where we cherish the teaching of God's word, where we, where we eat together, we spend time outside. Like it's not just a Sunday morning thing and having a donut on your way into service doesn't count. Although you need that too. Praying together, that doesn't just mean prayer team, right? That's, that's an echo of it. It means praying, getting together. Like what if we were so wild and crazy that like, when we were struggling with something, we went to each other's house and prayed together. Wouldn't that be radical? Over just crazy stuff like that. See, if we did that, though, if we started to, to, to believe this to be true, if we started to act it out and not just let the world tell us how to be Christian, but we let our, our Christianity start to impact the world, we would start praying together, taking care of one another. It says sold their goods and gave to any as they had need. And, and, and they would just, they spent time, energy, effort, and gave resources to take care of one another. There was a sense of awe and wonder amongst them. That what that word means is that, that they literally were, were just like kind of, oh, God's really doing something here. And if you're wondering why I'm, Standing up here crying all morning, it's because I'm kind of blown away that I'm looking out at a room like this and remembering when we started in my living room and going, God's really done something here. God's really done something amongst us. And, and it's not about a crowd gathered, it's about a people transformed. It's about a people that, that have committed to him and that are following him. And then you look back and you go, Wow, every step of the way, I don't know, a lot of it got messy and things get hard and things are difficult. But when you stand back for a minute and get perspective, you realize, man, God really has done something incredible. They walk out life together, both here and in small groups all over the city. And the outcome is a sense of overwhelming joy, a, a courageous heart, a simple heart. Heart, not a complicated, not a, not a busy heart. And, and there's a favor with God, a favor with people. And, and y'all, can I just tell you, like, 
We're seeing that happen as the body of Christ. I was talking to Kelly before service and we went, man, you know what the wildest part of this whole deal is? God let us get a loan for $7 million. We're three years old. We're, no, 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 no. We didn't have finance. We had like two years of financial records. The bank looked at us like, I mean, we went to banks and they're like, you gotta be kidding me. And then all of a sudden God shows up and gives us what we need. We're a five-year-old church about to move into a 35,000 square foot facility. That doesn't make any sense. My, my mom's excited about it. But I think that's what it means to have favor with men. To all of a sudden, God goes, hey, I'm gonna, it doesn't mean everybody's gonna like you. It doesn't mean everybody's gonna think you're perfect. It just means that people are gonna see the beauty of what God's doing in your midst. And so, beloved, as we look at community, as we see this need to, to build our community, it leads us to this last bucket. And it's fitting that we, we would land here today before we launch into the deep. It's, it's changed the world. And, and it's a phrase I've said and I've said and I've said again. It's something that's just come out of, of, of my heart to, to say, man, I don't just want to be a, a passive church. I don't just want to be the church that kind of watches the world go by. I don't want to be the church that just lives comfortably and sits back and just goes, let somebody else do this stuff. I want to be a, a church that changes the world. Not because I've seen some, you know, uh, like, I've, I've, like that's, I mean, listen, change the world is a, is a common terminology. People say it all the time. We don't have to have a civics class here today, but I'm going to try to rough chop it. I'd say change takes and is produced by influence. So how do you influence and make real change in the world? The world's motto has kind of always sounded like, have it your way. What you want, when you want it, how you want it. Take no prisoners. Do whatever it takes to get to the top. I even remember if you're a 90s baby, Pinky in the Brain told us in the 90s that it was his goal to have world domination. There's an overarching sentiment in American culture that says, change, change, change. Well, change is good as long as it changes in my favor. For the betterment of my position, my status, my wealth. But when change takes the American dream away, we call it bigotry and abuse. So I think it's needed to say that we aren't just agents of chaos in the church trying to create change arbitrarily for the sake of change. I have one of those hats, you know, we sell them out there and I think they're awesome and cool and I get lots of compliments from other Christians, but I had a non-believer ask me the other day, sweet hat, what's up with that? What part do you want to change? And I went, that's a really good observation because I don't just want any change, right? I don't, I don't want to just change the world in the sense of, of I, I, I just want it to be different now because I have ADD and I want it to, you know, I got to spice things up. But what does real change look like? What part of change really matters? 
We don't just want to change for the sake of it. We want change because our world has departed from the will and ways of God and replaced it with a God that demands a worship of self. A world that is made by God for the pinnacle of his creation, humanity, whom they have distorted, who we have distorted, confused, and run away from him. Even though we all deserve death, hell, and the grave, in his love he extended the ultimate mercy in sending his only son to take our punishment and offer a way home. He then not only offers a way home at death, but access to his kingdom and and, and, and new life right now where we get to taste and see that future hope in this present and evil age. See, beloved, not as some spiritual juggernaut dispelling shame on the world, I am a pastor that has tried the world and found it wanting, searched in all the wrong places, and only by God's grace found my way to him. And as beautiful, scary, and difficult, and incredible as my life has been with him, I am 100% convinced that it is the only way to find that which makes you whole. So I'm not looking at the world gone mad with a nose high enraged at their debauchery. I'm keenly aware that I could have been in the same spot and I'm forever grateful that a body of believers in rural Tennessee opened their doors and told me the truth and welcomed me home. You see, church, I don't want to see the world change for power or might, but out of a desperate hope for love for those that are far from God, looking everywhere they can, being ripped off from the nonsense of this world, I want to see them all brought to a place where they can encounter love, peace, truth, and relationship with Jesus Christ that changed my world forever. So if you want to know why I want to change the world, that's it. I I want to change the world because I want to see people come home. I I want people to have that same assurance that me when I take my last breath here, that's not the end of me. That I have a future and a hope and his name is Jesus. That because of him, I have eternal life and where I'm going, the streets are paved with gold. I mean, come on, like that's why we want to change the world. Not not because we hate people, not because we're uh, uh, annoyed with people, not because we're scared to death that the government's going to come and do something to us. I'm not afraid of nobody because of Jesus. Because we have whatever we need and the power of God is in us. So we don't have to sit back and be terrified of of a world gone mad. Our hearts should break and we should pray and seek and, and do whatever we can to bring them home. Because someday we're out of here. And I want to bring as many as we can in the process. So the question then remains, how do we change the world? How do we actually make a difference? Is it going to be through social media? Is it going to be by force? Maybe we'll just come up with enough money to make a difference. I don't think so. I think we've got to go back and ask the question, how did Jesus change the world? 
and draw from that a model for our modern day to say, okay, if Jesus did it this way, how can we draw from that? How do we learn from that? And how do we start to implement that, right? Instead of just wearing hats that say change the world, which we'll do, you know, buy you a hat, but it's a great conversation starter. But how did Jesus do it? What was his method, right? It, it is, you know, I, I think one of the, the problems, the way people get kind of wounded in, in big churches and churches that are, that are huge, they just go, well, they've lost sight of, of what they were all about. They lost sight. Like they're not doing, you know, all they care about is growing a crowd. It's like, well, not always. That's not the point. Remember we said last week, growth is not to be demonized or idolized. Both of those are wrong. Growth is a byproduct of healthy church. But how did Jesus make a change to the world itself? Was it just drawing a crowd? No. I want to start all the way back. The first thing he did is came into the world. John 1, 10 through 13, it says that he was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name and who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Isaiah 7.14, I think we've, uh, Pastor Jeff talked about this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. John 1.14, and, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You see, beloved, we cannot change the world from a distance. We, we can't change the world from our, our computer chair. We can't change the world from, from back away. Jesus modeled for us this messy model, one that takes vulnerability. And so oftentimes as believers, we will share our hope when it's, the conditions are perfect. I'll talk about Jesus when I'm in the perfect environment with the perfect audience. Beloved, if we're waiting for some, the world to come to our church, we're waiting for the world to show up at our doorstep so we can feel comfortable enough to then tell them about Jesus, to explain who Jesus is to them. We have it backwards. Jesus went into your world so you could come into his. My challenge to us, my, 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 my encouragement to us, my exhortation is that we might have to start going into people's world if we want to see them impacted for the cause of Christ. We might have to start showing up in people's life in a unique way and being willing to go into the space that they're in instead of inviting them to come across the uncomfortable line, right? Like, like for somebody that doesn't know church, the first time they have an experience with the body of Christ shouldn't be with like 900 of your friends. It's a little overwhelming. What if you just like spend some time with them first? And then you brought them to a small group and then you brought them to a, a bigger gathering and then you brought them to the, it's like, do you see how you could go either way? You could go, hey, come to church with me. And it's like, well, that might happen. But another way would be to show up in somebody's world and build a relationship with them and be connected to them and treat them as an individual and something amazing. And then over time, you might see them show up to church. 
See, if you have someone that needs to be in church, you may have to show up in their world to bring them into yours. The second thing he did is he invested in a few. See, I think when I say things like change the world, you automatically think like, well, I guess I'm going to have to run for president. It's the only way I can be a world changer. It's like, well, we've seen that doesn't always work. But sorry. Oh, he invested in a few people, right? This is what's so beautiful about Jesus. The, the method makes no sense to the world. If you, if you gathered the smartest minds on earth and said, hey, I want to see the whole earth covered with a message of hope, love, redemption, and life. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to get the word out to everyone there is that, that God is here and his name is Jesus and, and he's offering a relationship to any that would believe in him. Tell everybody, how would you do it? Maybe you'd start with mailers. Maybe you'd do a Facebook campaign. Jesus grabbed 12 men and he spent three years with them. A three-year investment in 12 people is your strategy to tell the whole world of your great love? That makes no sense. He should have held a conference. He should have had a concert series or something, like gone on tour. But he took 12 men and he walked with them and he loved them and he put up with them. And I'm sure sometimes they stank. I'm sure they were annoying. I'm sure, I know, we know from the word, they missed it, just blatantly fumbled the ball constantly. But the same 12 that he spent years investing in and dealing with and putting up with also are the men who died for his great cause. He took fishermen and turned them into to, to, to juggernaut giants in the land. He changed the world through 12 common people. He invested heavily in everything in a few. Jesus had the masses. He had the 70, he had the 12, and he had the three. I don't think this is an exact science. I don't think you have to go out and go, okay, let me analyze my friend group. Do I have the, the masses? Yes. Do I have the 70? Mm, I probably need to build that one a little. Do I have the 12? Do I have the three? It's like, that's not the point, but it is a framework for how to invest our time and the energy and effort in our life, the, the layers of impact, the layers of influence, and, and the, the layers of investment. It's, it's so powerful. If our relationship group doesn't exist or doesn't extend past the, the work friends you have or the family you have at home, you could be missing something. Jesus is saying, hey, invest in a few. And some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. I invest in my family at home. Great. That's important. It's, it's important to evangelize and use and, and, and love people in your workplace. It's important to love your kids and take care of your family at home. That's a must do. You have to do that. Your family's a great place to change the world. But I see this go Wrong often. Parents say they want to disciple their kids, so they wake them up with Way FM and they make them read the Bible for hours while the parents are watching Netflix. They're so busy with work and sports and sports and sports that they don't have time for anything else, and they wonder why their kids aren't falling in love with God's people. 
They're wondering, why are my kids just so resistant to, to anything about God? I mean, all I'm doing is just forcing it down their throats. I would say this, you can't disciple your kids while you have them on the throne. Your kid's greatest tool for discipleship and spiritual growth will be seeing you do that for other people. When you invite people into your home, when you start taking your children to, to home group, when you start investing in your kids and letting your kids see you invest in other people, they're gonna see something that, that is gonna help them recreate a worldview that matters. It's gonna show them that they're not the center of the universe, which is really, really important in today's culture. But it's also gonna show them that mom and dad have credibility and it's gonna provoke interest in what they have to say. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? If you wanna see impact start to happen in your family's life, then the thing you might need to do is widen the circle a bit and let your family experience the body of Christ in a way they haven't before. Because when they start to see the community getting built, it's gonna start changing their life. The, the folks I see have the most difficulty with this. They're like, no, no, no. I meant, I just, I'm discipling my kids and their kids are like, okay, yeah, cool. Yes, I can recite to you all of the Torah, you know, but it's like, I'm not sure if you like me. <laughs> he invested in a few, so find your few. Start taking and being intentional about, about your, where you work and how you work and how you're loving the people in your work. Start taking seriously how you're discipling and working with and loving the people in your home, but also start thinking about and believing and praying for who are the 12, who are the people that God's invited me to come alongside, to walk in my life with? Because if I don't get in the world with some people, if I don't get in their world, if I don't let them in my world, then I won't see the world changed because I'll do it all in a vacuum. And the final thing he did is he, laid his life down for us. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or, or conceit but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. See, this is where it just doesn't fit the bill of goods that so many of us have been sold, that the Christian life is a comfortable life. You see, we must break that comfortable Christian life narrative if we're gonna be a world changer. This way of life demands sacrificial care for others. Giving up your, your precious time, you know, giving up the, the, the couch sit on a Sunday afternoon is brutal, but necessary, worthy, right? Sometimes, now listen, don't start calling me on Sunday afternoons unless it's really important, but but the truth is, is we've got to be the kind of people that go, some things are worth more than your comfort. Some people are worth more than your convenience. Some people are worth, are bigger. God, this is going to get me, don't email me. I know Henry Cloud is awesome. 
Some things are bigger than your boundaries. Let me say that again. Some people are bigger than your boundaries. Some people are worth getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of your con- the, 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 the safe space, right? It, it's some of, sometimes it's worth going, hey, I got to put all chips in to make sure these people are okay. I'm going to care enough to show up and do what needs to be done, to take care of people. We've got to break that Christian comfortable narrative. I said that backwards, comfortable Christian narrative. It's going to get messy, but it's going to change everything. You see, this isn't complicated, but it's difficult. This is, I remember telling middle schoolers this, and they would all just look at me like, what? But it's something God said to me for, for years, I feel like I've, I've I've just had this in my heart. It's like, man, following Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, and then doing the will and ways of Jesus is not easy. I think that is a great bill of goods in the American church. That, that, that when we, you know, when we start to live this way, it's going to be simple. It's going to be easy. It's going to be carefree. It's, you know, all of a sudden, everything you need is going to be taken care of. Sort of but you're also going to experience more heartache, more challenges, more difficulty. And yet that all is the beautiful life. That nothing ever good came easy. Name one thing in your life, and if there's any lottery winners in here, just keep your hand down, but name one thing that you've had that's great in your life that was simple, that was easy. One, your marriage, don't answer. There's nothing easy about life, but it's still beautiful. It's still wonderful. It's still worthy. And so the, the, the importance for us is to realize, man, yes, I want to be a world changer. How am I going to do it? Well, I, I first have to check why I want to change the world. Do I want to change the world because I want to have more influence or dominion or power or authority? If so, like, go back to bed. That's a problem. But if you want to change the world because you want to see people encounter the great love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if, if you want to see people have an encounter with the body of Christ to see their life change, then yes, do it, believe it, step on it, jump on top of it, be about that kind of world change. But the way to do it isn't to force people into your box. It's not to, 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 to just plead with them to do what you want them to do. It's not... It's to show up into their world like Jesus showed up into ours. And then to dwell amongst them for a season, to endure with them for a season, to love them for a season, to show them you're, you're, you're not going anywhere and then lay your life down for them. To lay down your conveniences and your comfort for the sake of the gospel. I promise you it doesn't make any sense. To, to, to simply do that for a few and not the masses, but it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, not a, it's not, nobody's writing books about this, but we got this one that's really important. And when we do what it says to do, I have no doubt that we will stand tall and be, 
be known as a body of Christ that's changing the world. Because we showed up in somebody's life, we invested in a few, and we laid our life down for them. And as we do that and we operate in this this kind of supernatural way, I promise you, it's not going to look the way we think it's going to look. I'm saying this from experience. The kingdom of God, my life with Jesus does not look how I thought it would. I did not think I was going to be a pastor. I did not think I would be a dad with, of a special needs child. I didn't think I'd be married to an amazing wife. I didn't think I'd have be a pastor to an amazing church. I didn't think any of this. It's not going to look the way we think it'll look, but I promise you his promise is true that when we do what he calls us to do, we will indeed change this world. And as we are going, it's imperative that we never, ever lose our way, church. That we don't walk out of this place and go, yes, I want to be a world changer. Yes, I'm going to live in the ways of Jesus. Then we get in our new building and we see all the cool stuff. And there's there's trees in the lobby, which is cool. We don't think, oh, yeah, that was then. This is now but we fully embrace this moment to go, here we are, and we get to go change the world together. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, for the last time in this room, we want to come before you and say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for calling us home. Thank you for showing us a way where there was no way. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for investing in a few. Thank you for laying your life down for us. It's in that posture this morning that we look to you and say, Lord, as we look to encounter you, as we look to grow deeper with you, as we build a community with you, and as we seek to change the world as you did, Lord, would you empower us to use your methods and to keep your posture of heart. Trust God that through you anything is possible. So God, come and have your way in this place. Fill us with your spirit one more time. And as we prepare to turn the page for a new chapter, God, would you bless this moment? Would you sow it deep in our hearts that we wouldn't forget who we are in the midst of where we're going? We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week down the street.